welcome back to Inside Art Scroll, where the books you read and the people who write them come to life. Today I am privileged to be joined by two special guests, Rabbi Avram Baruch Brafman and Rabbi Dovi Kielsen. Rabbi Brafman is the only son of Rabbi Aaron Brafman. Rabbi Kielsen is a close Talmud of Rabbi Brafman and the Mashkiach of Mesifta Chaim Shloyme. And I will say that the reason why I described you that you are a Talmud is because you're still a Talmud, even though Rabbi Brafman is not here. But you're very much living the ideals and trying to emulate the great Menal of Yeshiva Derechesen of, uh, of Farakway so and Rabbi so. Baruch. This book, really, what Rabbi Finkelman did here, a yeoman's job of bringing your father's story to life so that 100%. all of us could continue to be inspired by him. But speaking about the fact, you mentioned that he's still a Talmud, so much so that it was really Rabbi's inspiration and driving force behind the actual book. He was the one that brought up the topic by one of the art gatherings a few years ago and said, we have to put out a book. My father was so special. My father is, we, we know that. And we all mm-hmm. felt that. And all the Tamidim felt that. And Reb Dave was the driving force that brought it to life. Well, and we're forever Dave, grateful thank for you. Thank you for doing that. Because this is a book that is, that I, I know, you know, Atsuko puts out a lot of books. And they are all exceptional in their own way. This book is, is, very, is uniquely warm, I would say. A, there was something about your father that was just so, uh, they don't make people like that. Yeah. And uh, so talk about, the, you know, about Verbach's talking about how you were the driving force. What, what, what entered your mind? What, what did you envision? What, what did you see? That's a loaded question, but I think the most important Nakuda that inspired me was that I felt compelled out of a sense of overwhelming Akaras HaToiv to my Rebbe for everything that he did for me. As Chazal tell us, Rabbi Mevir L'chayr Elam Haba. And even though it's impossible for a Talmud to adequately express Akaras HaToiv, a token of Akaras HaToiv could be to be able to show the world a little glimpse of what we were to have in our midst. Mm. Wow. Now we spoke to Rabbi Finkelman, you know, about about writing a book about a Menahel. You were zeichet to be a son, right? And uh, sometimes it's different. You know, my father's uh, my father was zeichet to be a principal in the yeshiva I went to for many years, and I was also had that vantage point. I knew my father at home. I knew my father in yeshiva. Um, did you find that? Did you find that it was a different person? The Rabbi Brafman Menahel of Yeshiva Varakway and the Rabbi Brafman who's, I would mention, not only are you a son of Rabbi Brafman, you are the only son. And so, also a Talmud. <laughs> and a Talmud. So uh, it happens to be interesting that you bring this. We, it was mentioned in the book. I think it's both in our introduction to the book and it was mentioned numerous times, the fact that my father molded our family together with the Yeshiva. There was no two things. We were part of the Yeshiva upbringing, the part of the yeshiva experience, Yom Tevim, Simchas Purim, it was all one big happy family, so to speak. And he made us want to be part of the yeshiva. He, he brought the Simcha home, he brought the, the Hashkafas of the yeshiva at home. I mean, what was, there was always Talmidim in the house constantly for Shabbos, for, for Yom Tevim, for Sudas, especially after my sisters got older and where the house was with just me. Constantly, Bachram always over. Purim was always an exciting day in the house. Sukkot, we had a Simchas was the second that Yom Tev, the whole community came, but it was mainly for the Bachram. And we all 
and I speak for my sisters as well, we all like looked forward to it. And we went away always one year, one week a year, we went on a yeshiva retreat and he took us all along. It was something mm. we looked forward to and something that even blended, that there shouldn't be two things, the yeshiva and our house. But did you ever feel, you know, our father is so involved in the yeshiva and the Talmidim lives, Talmidim's lives and interests are so much part of him. Did you ever feel like, you know, I, I just want my father to be my father? So obviously he struck a very impressive balance because I never had such feelings like he's too busy. Mm. And I think part of the reason why it was that way is because we didn't look at yeshiva as something else. It was all, we were all part of it. We felt that we were helping him. We were, you know, aiding him and assisting him, whether he, he wasn't home much. And, but he will, we always, once a day, we generally always had supper together throughout all the years I was growing up. He was always there, unless there was a simcha, but on more, more often than not, we were, it was all one. And it wasn't like I had to feel like I was giving him away, so to speak. Mm. Now you, you from, a Talmud, from a Talmud's vantage point, Rabbi Brafman was so ibegegeben to the Talmidim, as the book describes. His devotion to every yachid was almost superhuman. How he was able to, when he was speaking to a Talmud, the only thing that existed in the world was that Talmud. And you saw that as a, as a very close Talmud and someone who benefited from that love and that care. Talk about what it meant to you. So coming into the yeshiva in 1989, I was a 10th grader. I was in Eretz Yisrael for ninth grade, with my family made a sabbatical. And when I walked in, I was trying to find my way, and he right away took an interest. And the first thing that he did was, which is in retrospect a, an act of complete godless, was he took a tenth grader who was not really yet into learning, to say the least, and he set him up to learn with his only son, who was then in second grade. Oh, wow. So you're in second grade, believe, you're in second grade? Yes, I believe it was Shabbos only... Afternoon we Shabbos afternoon to learn <clears throat> about what was the limud? Mishnayis, Mishnayis. Mishnayis, and then we went... Over there. the years, we've never really stopped learning, even though it's not daily or weekly. Uh-huh. But, but there was the, the pikhus in, in being able to raise up a Talmud by giving him the trust that I want you to teach my own son. Wow. And Did you feel pre- you felt the pressure? Pressure, no. I didn't feel pressure. I felt a, a pride that he really believed in me to the extent that in the summer of the 10th grade in that day camp that Abrafen had Matov, he said to me, I want you to be the Rebbe of my son's class, second grade. I was coming out of 10th grade. At that point in my life, I had no inkling of even thinking of Chinuch as something that would be my future. But he saw, like was mentioned in, in, other, in other venues, he saw things that we weren't able to see at the time. He saw the future and he saw the potential in me to be a mashpia one day and he just threw me into it, which was uh, metamorphosis. Did, did you push back at all on that, on that? Or did you just say, no, you know? No, I just, I, I, I was stunned and then I said, okay, I'll try. He said, don't worry, I'll help you out, it'll be good. I'll come in when you need me. And that was the first taste, which... Yeah, we didn't give him an easy time. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> also true. It was, it was a moment of transformation for me in, in my head of what, what I want to do in the future. It's, it's inspiring to, to all of us to hear because it shows what the belief of a mechanach could do to a, to a teenager. 
yeah. imbuing them a belief that they of kaiches they didn't even know they had, and really transformed their lives. Not right. It's not a not an exaggeration to say. It's not uh, not even slight exaggeration. And to think that uh, how many years later we're we're stand, we're sitting here today, that you were the driving force behind the book written about him. That ten, you know to think about how it came full circle. Yeah. That tenth grader, who you know maybe didn't know where his life was headed. Well, what's the most amazing, think, if I could interject, is that throughout the writing of the book and the interviews and the discussions with Rabbi Shimon Finkelman, Zolgozenstein, who was, it was really incredible, and we're so happy that we chose him. He did a, r- a remarkable job. Um, I learned in the process of the writing so many more things about my relationship with Rabbi Brafman that I didn't even realize before. Oh. And one of those things or in conversations with Rabbi Finkelman in the morning, when I would see him in Darachit Torah, I would go up to my office, and I would see a 10th grader walking down the hallway, and I would think to myself, that was me. Mm. And I, I'd say to him, come to my office, let's learn together. It was, it's really, you know, bringing, like you said, full circle, but bringing to reality everything that I received, and now Be'ezus Hashem, trying to give it over weiter to the next door. So you, you, do, you think about Rabbi Brafman quite often, I imagine, your position as a mashkiach. So I happen to have a picture of him right next to my, my, my seat, uh-huh. a picture of him in my chasana, being eight kedushin. And I believe, I, I, could, I, I could honestly say, a day does not go by that I don't think about him. Wow. Now back on the home front, yeah. What was your impression going, growing up of, of your father? Of course, as you described, the yeshiva and the family were one. But now that you hear so many testimonies of Talmidim who were, who were transformed by, by this legendary Manal, but to you he was a father, right? He was, he was your father. Did, did you see that at home? Did you know? We definitely saw. He was always learning. One of the things we actually mentioned in the book that he, one of the Kabbalas he made when he first started out, said his children should only see him learning, never wasting his time. He never was home doing nothing. He's either sitting at the table learning, sitting on the couch with a safer, he's never looking at a newspaper or doing anything else unless it was in the bed, and the, you know, unless he was, you know, but otherwise it was always wanted, the children should always see him learning. And he was, mm-hmm. he had Sadaram and many different things. He was constantly making Sumim every yard site of his parents. I mean, eventually when his parents, first his grandfather, and then his parents, then when my other grandparents, my mother's parents, when after he made it, see him every yard side for them as well. Constantly finishing good Masechtas, he always was on top of what the yeshiva was learning, because he, whenever Rebbe wasn't there, he'd just fill in, whether mm-hmm. it was ninth grade, twelfth grade, it would make a difference. And Bachim used to come over and ask him questions throughout the entire Masechta. At night, we just, and it was very common, he'd just walk over to my father and say, What's Pshat in this Gemara? Ninth grade, he wants to know Pasha Pshat. And he had, you know, he was always yeah. answering yeah, on the spot. Wow. But so we were always aware of my father's greatness, but what I wasn't maybe so aware of until I, until we sat Shiva, you know, close to six years ago, and then seeing the, the book and all the interviews and the phenomenal job that Finkelman did, but the, the Roisham and the life-changing impact that he had, it was unbelievable. We were really, it was like impressed, like we were like, not surprised, but like we didn't realize how far-reaching his effect had. Mm. And it's happening daily. People are walking, bump over, bump into me whenever I, wherever I go. I say, my name is Brafen. They say, oh, you're later to Rabbi Brafen. Oh, I, 
he did this, he did that. People were not in yeshiva. There's people in the community, or they even remember him from Camp Agudu, who had learning rabbi there, you know, close to 40 years ago. And he had, he had a, he, his, his warmth and his, his realness, really. I think that's very interesting. It's very what really interesting what you're saying, because sometimes, you know, you have people who are involved in, in Askanus, and they're helping out a lot of people, and, and it's written all over them. You know, you see it. They're, yeah. they're harried, they're, they're overwhelmed, they have lists, they're pulling it out, they're making phone calls. So, uh, you know, someone like your father, who really was carrying so much, um, I would almost think that it would manifest itself on the home front, but it doesn't sound like it. No, it was like pretty amazing. That's very interesting. So there's one word that I thought would come out already in the interview, but Ben Rafinkman touched on many nakudas and it was unbelievable. But if you have to, and it, one of my brothers and I think said this in the book, but I think if you'd have to define my father in a certain sense, in one word, it was achrayas. He was a bal achrayas for himself, mm-hmm. for his mishpacha, for the yeshiva, for the community, and he felt an achrayas for Kali Israel. He would constantly call up, I know numerous times as well, Rabbi Shmuel Bloom, when he was still involved in Agoda, to, to share his opinion about what they should do or not do. He would call the yeshivas and different yeshivas if they felt, he felt they could do something to wake up Kali Israel, certain things were going on with those amounts of inertia Israel, whatever the need was, he felt, you know, as, as Rabbi Sherman mentioned as in, forward, in his forward, it was so classic. You know, he was once talking to Rabbi Sherman about the fact how some schools wanted to go on an end-of-year trip and there had just been a terrorist attack or something, and they came to ask Rav Shach if they should maybe tone down the trip. And Rav Shach said, yeah, they should tone it down. And my father then said to Rabbi Sherman, but it's so bothersome. Why do they need to ask? Shouldn't they have their own das? Mm. And this was so, and I remember as I was getting older and I started appreciating his achrayas and his regish more. And I used to tell him things that, you know, what I saw from my perspective here now living in Lakewood, different people either doing things or not doing things. I used to, they didn't get, they didn't say till him after davening. Like, you need someone to tell you to go say till him. This car is in a, it's sorry, you have to daven. Like this was, a, that's how we walked around, was achrayas and his, to be Marmot Kavei wherever he was. Dave, I'm, I'm, I mean, I know, I'm, Without, without, uh, without a question, this is something that the Talmidim saw, right? This is something he spoke about. Achrayas. Every single shmuz. A lot went by without mentioning Klal Yisrael, those words, repeatedly throughout. What did he quote in yeshiva, yeah. the Bachan used to make fun of, but it was always the Matzav and the Velt. That was his quotable quote. Uh-huh. That was his go-to Every topic was so, always something, the matzah and the velt. You know, what, you know, what's going what on we in the do world? And what, right. what's our we're not, job We're to... not living for ourselves. Correct. We're living as part of something bigger than ourselves. But uh, on, a, on a tangible level, as a mechanic yourself now, what, what do you think he really wanted from 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th graders, Beis Medrash Bachram? You know, most boys are focused, hopefully, on their own personal aliyah, which is what they should be focused on. What did he really want from teenagers? Just as before Dave answers, I just yeah. want to interject because he numerous times in the Shmuzim he would say, "I know you're too young, but oh, I have to say it anyway." Uh-huh. He was planting seeds. Planting seeds. That's the answer. But Dave maybe has a different uh, take. That's definitely one part of the answer, giving us um, hasogos mm. of what we should yearn to feel, even if we're not feeling it yet. But I think, like I think mentioned so beautifully. You're not created for yourself. If we saw with our own eyes the manifestation 
of that Mishnah, Mani Latzmi Mani. Mm. But Finkelman also mentioned that he was, he had foresight. He saw years ahead of his time different various things, and I'm sure on a, on a Chinuch level that was true also. That may, okay, maybe the 10th, 11th, 12th grader doesn't understand fully what I'm saying now about Achrayas, about yeah. the Velt, about thinking outside of your Da'aramas, but one day, one day, their Manal's words will, will seep in. I'm sure that was part of part of his approach, because you 100%. see his Talmidim have gone on to become Marbitzei Taira, Baal Batim would take Achrayas, no matter what they're doing in their life, they remember Rabbi Brafman and his Ashpah. Could I um, add one Nakuda? Because Rabbi Avon Baruch is mentioning the way the family sort of uptights the Tata um, by speaking to a lot of Talmidim. That's definitely an uptight that's MS. But my uptight, if I'm allowed uptight as a mensch, but just at least one cook on him, which I, I know resonated a lot with a lot of Talmidim, was the sense of unbelievable humility and the she'ifa to always be growing to the point that he would express that constantly to us, besides telling us that you're young, you don't understand what I'm saying, he would tell us repeatedly every single schmooze and in personal conversations, you're so lucky, you're young you have so much that you could still do. Mm-hmm. And we saw that she'ifa, every seam that any bachar, any talmud would make. First of all, I still don't know where the minute came from, but he would say along the hadron. Everyone remembers that. Oh, really? He would yeah. say along the hadron with, with us. All the, with all the bachar? No, no whenever a made a person, oh, whenever anybody made a seam, he would say the hadron with us. Hmm. Whatever the minute, the reason, does it too. the reshiva does it too. Whatever the minute is, but the rather reason for that minog is, the mitzvah was he was living the scene with us. Ah, yeah. I want to finish also, just like you're, you're finishing. And the pashtas that he would run the yeshiva, putting up the signs on 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 the door of what time the zmanim are going to be, cleaning up the, the tables to the point where a rebbe told me after he was nifter, he said to me, what I saw in my brafim was an eved neman to Hashem and to the Klau. But without any fanfare, he was cleaning up the table, setting up the place for Shabbos. He was there early, early for Shachros, early for Shabbos. It, it, the, and the, the, the point is that he, you would tell him that we're having an interview about a book that's written about you. He, would, he wouldn't know what we're talking about. Mm. Right. 100%. His humility, his humility was his humility was, was off the charts. Off the charts. Off the charts. And that's one of the things that endeared him to people in general, but to the Talmidim. Yeah. When when their manal is so self-effacing and so not about himself. You you know, you're talking about cleaning up. There was no ego. There was no ego. You read this book and you see in story after story, it was never, ever I, I think ever about himself. Ever. It was never ever about himself. So when you have a machanach who's being mechanach, not ever about himself or his ego, is it a wonder that he was able to touch people in and that everyone should say a profound way? Right. I'm sorry for interrupting. No, please that, go that on. Everyone should say about him the same words. He was so special, and he loved me so much. Like our Finkelman said, but I'm telling you as a Talmud right. that this is what we say to each other. 
I could tell you just also, again, speaking, we're speaking over here very personal as a son, as a Talmud, and we spoke to Rabbi Finkelman as the writer and as someone who knew Rabbi Brafin, but I could tell you from going around now telling people, I'm excited to tell people, you know, there's a book coming out about Rabbi Brafin. Everyone has the same reaction. It's like, wow. And they, get, you, they just smile. They hear, they hear your father's name, and it's a smile. That, that's everyone's reaction is Rabbi Brafin was one of those people when you heard his name, when you met him, when you saw him, it made you just feel better as a person. I'm sure Some, you hear that. As once the cover was ready and I started, you know, showing it to people, there was the excitement was just like palpable. You know, it was especially the close time meeting, but even not, you know, I sent it out around and people just to get them excited. Right. Because, you know, it's been a long time in the making and finally Baruch Hashem about to be released. I would be remiss, I want to mention this now so I don't forget, but the book describes how Ibn he was to other people. And I'm sure, and you could talk about this as a son, I'm sure the hero behind that was your mother. 100%. And I... Because your father was able to, he, he, he devoted his life to the yeshiva, he devoted his life to Talmidim, he devoted his life to Kal Yisrael, but he's only able to do that if someone on the home front is, is carrying the load. And um, I can't, almost every simcha, Baruch Hashem, have seven sisters, a lot of simchas, and Ad Yoyim every simcha used to, one of his main points, he used to always say, my mother was the only child who grew up in San Francisco, and he looked at the room, and he used to just thank Rabbi Hashem and start crying. That was a constant, and it didn't ha- happen more than once. It wasn't just like, okay, once, and he cries, and every single simcha, you know, with the same emotion. And definitely, my mother de- de- takes a tremendous amount of credit, and she deserves a tremendous amount of credit, and the book should serve as some type of nechama, some type of, mm-hmm. you know... What was the lesson that she said, if I can interrupt, after the shiva? She said I was married to him for... for 40, no, 50-something years. And, and I didn't realize... Who he was? To, to, the, to the extent, the extent of who really? he was. That's the lesson that she said. The extent. No, isn't that the lesson? And there were stories coming. We mamash had no. Saying there's, there's a lot of them are in the book, but there are even, I'm sure there are many that are not. You say Megala Tefach, Mechasef Fachayim. There was there was some kind of dynamic there he, where he, he somehow had his pulse on the community, mm. and in terms of just some things that he was involved in without people realizing, giving people money when they he knew that they were going through a difficult time. No one knew how he knew about. They weren't associated with yeshiva. Mm-hmm. I remember them telling us they weren't parents. They didn't daven in yeshiva. And he somehow heard that the person lost his job. He called him up. He said, for the next few months, you rent on me. Hmm. And, how, and no one knew how he knew. No one even, you know. But he had this, he had this sense, like I said, he had a sense of Christ. He just felt. And when, there was nothing, I mean, it was mentioned somewhat before. There was nothing that was beneath him to do. And right. he didn't feel that if there's something to be done, that someone else should do it. He's going to pick up the phone and, and take care of it. And I was like, some of the articles, I think we did a phenomenal job in chapter 12, which is focused on the Jewish Observer articles, which right. was right. a very hard chapter to write because it really, he worked through the articles and picked out certain kudus which were right. main, and he, he like had a, he made a purist basically on them. And, you, and, and I don't know if it says in the book exactly which year all of them were written, but I think it does, but I remember someone was, one of the Talmudim, said, you know, he was in, this go back in the mid-70s, and he wrote an article about Chinuch, about Masif de Chinuch, and he was a young Mechanuch, and he was, and he, and it was a very, 
solid piece from a chinuch standpoint, and he's relatively young in his in his in his Chinuch's career, years, right. and to take on such a and to put his name out there with such a stance, it was like unbelievable. But it was, and he was such an honor. It was like, but he saw a need, he saw a, a void, and he felt that he, you know, if no one else can do it, he's gonna he's gonna do it. Yeah, like Rabbi Finkelman mentioned, he 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 felt that Achrayis for Klal Yisrael to 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 put messages out there. Right. As opposed to just being consumed with his old own busy yeshiva and his own busy schedule. He had a lot on his plate, but whether it was by an Aguda convention or through articles in the Jewish Observer, whatever medium was available to, to get a message out there, you felt that out. And I know, I know after the Jewish Observer stopped, he felt like there was no place that he felt comfortable mm-hmm. to be able to convey his, his, you know, his ideas and his ideals. You know, there's many beautiful magazines, but he'd felt for him, for his his audience, so to speak, that uh, he wanted that to address, that he, he needed, you know, he was very... He did very much become synonymous with that, right. uh, a pure, untainted hashkafa, and uh, he was part of what made the Jewish Observer so unique, right. you know, but, but, it, but as much as that's true that he lost that platform, um, one of the things you see is that your father was able to adapt with the times. Absolutely. Throughout his years, he started off being mechanach in the 1970s, he finished in the in the teens, in the, in the 2000s, and and yet he was as effective at the end as he was at the beginning because he was constantly evolving. Mechanach, you saw that, right? A thousand percent. When I got the Steller and Darchi so one of the most exciting parts about moving back was that as the Shem, we would be able to, I'd be able to see him more, and every summer. We would learn together once again, just like the days of the Talmud. As a Talmud, we learned for five years straight. You learned with Rabbi Bracham? Every single day. The Chavrusa. Lunch in his office from 11th grade through 3rd year Mishmash. And what did you learn with him? We went through the whole Perkei Avos We learned some Tanya. We learned Rus. We learned a whole array of different things. And then when I got the Steller, so in the summers, he... He would come over to me as soon as I would finish yeshiva and say, you're home for the summer, let's learn together, let's learn Navi together, slowly. Wow. And we learned together, um, we learned Navi together. And so the, the connection and, and, and seeing also his continuous hashpa. So, I mean, I'm more amazed than anything else that he, he had a lunch to catch his breath, but rather than catch no. his breath, he was learning no, with a Talmud. That alone is... Uh, breakfast or lunch. One of the breakfast two, or yeah. lunch. Yeah. Did he ever take a break during the day? I'm just... Uh, his schedule from the morning when he came for da, he davened in yeshiva. In yeshiva. He came home usually once English got underway, like 3, 3.30, he used to come home for... Right. Most, I mean, just certain kufas, but mm-hmm. you should, you know, take a little break in the afternoon, mid-afternoon, the early afternoon, but 6.30... Seven, 7 o'clock, he was back in Yeshiva because he had a night-seder program. Night-seder. And he had a program for the Balbatim that he started right. years and years ago learning with Dr. Joel Baum mm. for yeah, all night. 25 Chabur years. For Balbatim, 12 or 27 years. Really? Yeah. And he that was in Yeshiva? Chaburis. Yeshiva also. He would give Chaburis. Wow. And Shabbos afternoon, he would give a shir to Balbatim also. And that was a unique thing about Yeshiva Rakhwe was besides Yeshiva, it was also a community minion. Right. So there was always other people. Any, sure, any, that any, I remember. That I remember, right. Especially people in the early the days, there were very few minyanim. With Davin, and right. Anyone with Davin wanted and Davin, that was where they went. And any new face, he'd walk over and introduce himself and mm-hmm. say, do you need a chavrusa? And he, you know. 
Now, I, I asked this, Rabbi Finkelman, I'm curious, from your standpoint as a son, did you, was there, were there people who your father quoted as his, you know, his Rabbeian people he emulated, who you found shaped his worldview? So I'm going to sound like a, a copy of Rabbi Finkelman, but it really was the MS saying my great-grandfather definitely, who I'm named after, definitely was his earliest hashba. He, he put out a saver. He put out his ksavim, Imre Baruch, it's not out of print, but he put out his ksavim on, on, on Torah, I mean, on, on Chumash. And then Rav Shur, Rav Yankin and Rav Pan were constantly on his, on his lips. I'm saying his Argadal Yo is, is, you know, went through, through and through. I mean, he's constantly quoting him, through, you know, in the early years for sure. I mean, recently there's a lot more Svarim out, and there was a lot more things to look at. But right, right. Rabbeim and his early Shmuzim always, you know, Rav Shur, Rav Yankin, Rav Pan, and he was very, because Rav Pan came to all our Simchas until he was Nifter. He kept up that. He was, mm-hmm. came to my bris. And as a Talmud, you, you heard this as well, right? This was... Constant. He asked me to pick up Rav Pam to bring him to one of the... Uh, to the Simchas. Uh-huh. And the way Rav Pam greeted Rav Raffin at the Simcha, I, I, I see it, Namash, today. Hmm. It's six years since his Almost six years. Almost six years, right? And, and, and there was a feeling among those close to him, like yourselves and other Talmudim, that you know, uh, <laughs> there's a there's a tremendous void. There's a tremendous void. The hope is that this book, not that we could ever fill the void, but the book could serve as a, as a, to perpetuate everything he personified, and everything that we're missing in Rabbi Brafman today. We could we could all really carry on that legacy in some way, shape, or form. I don't think any one of us is capable of doing everything he did, because it was kind of superhuman how he balanced so much, Sayin is learning in the Chinuch and the Askanus of being Isaac in so many different things, in his Nesias oil, which was just beyond anyone's imagination, uh, his humility, which alone is, is, was mind-boggling. Can All I these, add one thing that yeah. wasn't mentioned, if you don't mind? Yeah, of course. That's my time is up. No, no, please. Yer <laughs> um, Shemayim, something that was not mentioned in the book, Rav Chaim Brim. Uh, no, 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 I'm sorry. What, the, this point I'm going to mention now was not mentioned in the book. Rav Chaim Brim, that's how I remember he once came to speak in Shifrakli. It was. Uh, really? Rav Chaim Brim spoke in Paris? He used to come to Daven Yom Narayim in, in, in Square Town. Square. 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 Uh, oh, right. And when the Bachim went there to Israel, they got close to him. When the Shifrakli yeah. Bachim went to learn in the mirror at one point, they. Did uh, go to Rav Chaim Brim's house? Yeah. And they have a vad from Rav Chaim Brim. So one time when he came, so I brought from, I remember like yesterday, he drove out to Muncie to Square to pick him up. And for months after, the Talmidim said, Rav Chaim Brim could not stop talking about Rav Aram Brafman and the Yerush Shemayim on his face. Wow. Is the words he said. And the MS is that as Talmidim, we walk into the yeshiva now, it's beautiful. The binyan is beautiful, the Torah is beautiful, inside, outside is beautiful. The Maisa is Tutfei. Anybody that walks into Yeshiva, you cannot not hurt when you see his empty seat. And by his seat, there's a plaque that uh, typifies, it didn't make it to the book, but it typifies the tefillah of Rabbi Aaron Brafman. Rabbi Brafman was known for his Kreichat Tefillah. I remember sitting in Beis Medrash for a Seder. There were times he would come in and he'd go to his shtender, take the red Tehillim, and pace back and forth 
don't know if he did it in your time anymore. In my time, it was it was, it was it was it was there. He left it in the base manager, and when he would come in, say and then he'd go back out. And everyone remembers the davening, the Kaimcha, the certain points of Hallelujah. There's no one that um, that you that that daven in yeshiva or that was that was a Talmud of the yeshiva that doesn't remember his bracha before Tekiah Shaifer. That was that this went into your kishkes, the Yerushalayim that was dripping from that bracha, wow. and these things are eternal influences. Did I say okay? Beautiful. Any final thoughts on on you know people are. Viewing this, people are going to go out and get the book. And Rabbi Finkelman said so beautifully that a biography, to really appreciate, you have to read it more than once. It's a safer. Not, not because it's heavy, but because to internalize it, it's, it's, it's more than just leisure reading. It happens to be this book reads, ah, it's so beautiful. It reads so gishmak. It's a very enjoyable read. 100%. And I say this about all of Rabbi I remember Finkelman's when he sent books. us the yeah. manuscript, we, yeah. we, we couldn't put it down. We put it down. Not it's, just because of our father, it was just read so easily and it was just Very one read. thing after the other and the stories are but something that Rabbi some, Finkelman didn't mention yeah. which I think is so important for people to realize that he was a regular person thank you I was about to say and that <laughs> was, like we read biographies normal. of Gedolim sometimes it's, we feel it's beyond our reach okay it's mm-hmm. a nice story as well <coughs> but he really was a normal person, regular just, he, person. He, and he just did he, he did he never stopped doing there's so many things in the book that are any person could really emulate and do Yashukayach to both of you, Reb Avram Baruch, Reb Dovi, thank you for coming out to reminisce about your father. Chaval al da'avdin, but v'loy m'shtachin. You know, we, we, lost, we lost a gem when your father was nefter, when your Rebbe was nefter. But, uh, but he hasn't been forgotten. And this book will ensure that not only won't he be forgotten, but thousands and thousands of people who never knew Reb Avram will be able to be inspired in, on some level by his life, by his ideals, by everything he stood for. And Amit uh, uh, the book should serve as an alias neshama for him. And uh, for all, you know, he should continue to be a Melitz Yosha for you, for your mother, for the Homish for the Talmidim, for the Yeshiva, for all those who were so touched by him. So thank you again Amen. for being here. Amen. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for everything. Thank you.